0: Amen. All right, so I'm going to read again. um, If you have a Bible or a device, Romans chapter 1. And I just want to read that first seven verses. As Paul opens this verse, we're going to get more uh, into uh, some of the other statements that are in this verse next week. Uh, Reading various commentaries, as I've picked up, uh, almost every one of them just almost stalls over these first seven verses. You know, it's like, there's so much here. And Paul could have ended his letter at the end of verse 7 because a lot of what he's saying in here uh, is further just revealed through the letter so it's a powerful statement and uh, we'll look more into the details of this over the next couple weeks but Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So our subject tonight, the, the area I'm going to get into is just this phrase, grace and peace to you. This is, uh, in a sense, it's, it's a summation of what this letter is about. Grace is what God gives, peace is what results. But how many of you know I'm not going to stop with that? So yeah, we're going to go into the detail of what grace and peace means to each of us. How God wants to communicate that grace in our life, why we need it, why some people don't want it. Who would not want grace? No. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. So, this becomes a very important principle in Paul's ministry, so much so that if you look there on your page, this is used in every one of Paul's letters. It's not used on all of the letters of the other apostles, the writers of the New Testament, but it is used in every one of Paul's. At the beginning of every letter, he's got this phrase, grace and peace. He adjusts the in part of that sometimes it's to you, and that's it. sometimes it's to through Jesus Christ our Lord, um, different ways that he says it every time, but it's always that same phrase, and it's always that same order, grace and peace. So you see all of these different um, references to this, and you know sometimes. We make a mistake of rushing through the opening of Paul's letter because it's like, okay, greeting, hi, how you doing? You're this people, you know. uh, Get me to the meat, I want the meat. You know, we want to get into the details of the letter. No, read the openings and read the ending. Just because Paul closes with salutations to some of his friends doesn't mean that there's not something there that's important for us to realize uh, to learn from and so uh, this is something that God wants for uh, believers to have and and so these principles that are there grace and peace it's a summation not only of what's in this letter but it's about everything that Paul wrote (laughs) read Ephesians it's about grace and peace (laughs) read Philippians it's about grace and peace read grace and peace. And so this message is in all of these letters and everything that he says. Now, there is one adjustment, and I've marked those, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. There's a little bit of an adjustment in those in that he adds the, the word mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. And so he puts a little bit of mercy in there. Why? Well, Different commentaries go just about every different way that you can think of. To me, the way that I see him, the reason he puts it in is because those letters are written to someone personal. They were written to ministers who uh, may have had some failures, may have had some mistakes, may have... Um, not been able to accomplish everything that they wanted to accomplish. How many of you get frustrated when you don't get done what you wanted to get done? Maybe you got assignment for that day, or maybe you feel like God gave you something to do, but for some reason it's not happening and it's not changing. And So in these personal letters where Paul is writing to the leaders of these churches, he puts a little mercy in there. What is mercy? Mercy is God overlooking what you missed. See, mercy, it almost depends on the fact that you've done something wrong, that you need mercy. (laughs) So mercy means that there's some mistake, there's something wrong, there's something missed, and so mercy says, I recognize that. So mercy doesn't ignore it. Mercy recognizes the wrong. And then forgives it. It's so, you know, God's dealt with every one of us in that way. Thank the Lord. How may have received mercy of the Lord? Because God says, yeah, I know you did. And I know you missed it here. And I know that that was wrong. And I know that that you failed in this. But let's move on. And so... Mercy is one of those things that he, he gives in, in each one of these letters. And, you know, when something is repeated over and over, it's because you need to hear it over and over. And so I found out, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm not talking about my wife, but I know that there's sometimes that people feel like they're being nagged. Well, if we would do what we're told to do, then the nagging would quit. But anyway, um, (laughs) so sometimes, see, I know I get a a lot of amens from the lady folk here, but um, God says things over and over. He did through the prophets. That's really one of the main principles of prophecy is God saying the same thing. He may say it through a different person. He might say it a little bit different way. But God spoke over and over through the prophets to his people. And say, yeah, we heard that before. Yeah, but you didn't change. So you need to change. Well, when God repeats something, it's because we need to hear it. Maybe we've missed it. Maybe we've not seen how that's working. We've not seen that it's necessary. Um, maybe God just wants us to catch it, to really let it become a part of us. And I, I remember, you know, the, remember when COVID first hit? The phrase was what? Wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. They even made a rap out of it. If you never saw that, go Google it sometime. It's kind of funny, but once it gets in your head, you'll be singing it in the middle of the night. And so, but how important was it to wash your hands? Well, yeah, that's important. It's like, I know it, but I need to tell you. So things keep coming up. So in this letter... Paul starts off with this phrase, grace and peace to you. Now this is not Paul's first letter, but it's the first in the order that they put his books, uh, his letters into the New Testament. So he, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, we'll talk more about that phrase later, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Peter does say this in his second letter, it's there in your notes, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says it this way, may grace the Greek word charis and peace, erene be multiplied to you through or in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace multiplied through the knowledge, the Greek word there is epinosis, the revelation getting, not just learning what it says, but Getting what it says, the epinosis of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, so grace grace is given, but it can be multiplied. The more we know about the things of God, the more we know about god 's Word, the more we understand what it is that he's saying. I like to refer to epinosis or knowledge as it's used there as as refined or elevated it's things something you've learned. And then God takes it to a higher level. And every one of us have had some kind of experience like that. you've learned, maybe you've heard it for years, and all of a sudden, in some meeting, or you're listening to uh, some message, uh, you're reading a book, and all of a sudden, something that you've known and been familiar with suddenly you're like, "Wow, I get it!" Well, that's epinosis. That's that revelation, we call it revelation knowledge It's when something really comes alive to us. Peter says that grace and peace can be multiplied in our life. The more we get the refined knowledge, higher knowledge of the things that God has given. Because the more you study the word, the more you realize what grace is how much you need it, what it does in your life. And the more you realize that, the more peace you have in your life. And so those things become multiplied through the study. This word is found so frequently uh, in early Christian literature, not just in Paul's writings, but in other early literature of the first several centuries of the church. Uh, This phrase, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is commonly the phrase that's found. And many people believe it was almost like a a secret handshake type thing. It was one Christian would meet another and they would say grace and peace to you, which is not strange if you're Greek or Roman because those were nice ways to greet people. And it would be just like us saying, hello, hi, how are you doing? Hope you have a nice day, you know, whatever, something along that line. So the words grace and peace were not strange, but another believer would respond with, through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there would be the acknowledgement that these were believers. Now sometimes it was the, the uh, ichthus, the fish, they would make the fish the sign, maybe in the dust or on a writing or on... Something and they would put the fish sign and it would make half and then the other person would make the other half. Um, they also used an anchor. Um, someone would draw the bottom part of the anchor, would kind of look like a smiley face. You know, they'd draw the bottom part of the anchor and another person would draw the, the upright shank. And so these were different ways that Christians recognized, when, especially when there was persecution and when there was great pressure against being a believer. Um, maybe the emperor wasn't persecuting you, but the temples were. Uh, and if, if you didn't buy and sell, if you didn't sacrifice at the temples, then you couldn't buy and sell in the marketplace. You were, you were shut out economically. So no matter what you, product you had, you had to go to a temple, make a sacrifice first so that you could sell in the marketplace. And Christians wouldn't do that. And so there was great persecution empire-wide in many ways economically and against families. Someone in the family became a Christian, and they would be written out of the family business. They would be written out of, of their possession, out of their inheritance. And so, yeah, there was great pressure. And so this phrase... Seems like it became. Now, we don't have any definite word that it was, but it seems the way that it's used in early literature was so prevalent that it almost became like that secret handshake. So, Paul writes grace to you. All right, bottom of your first page. Grace to you. The word grace, charis. The root of the word actually has to do with joy so karis is is the joy that you have when something has happened all right but it's more than joy because there's joy but then there's karis and so the idea of karis is something that has been given something that has been done that produces something in your life that was missing or broken Something that you were unable to do. Something that you were powerless. And so Carius has to do, first of all, with there being a void in your life. Because if there's no void, then there's no need for grace. There has to be something that grace is going to do. And that's why there is, in many people, there is a resistance to the grace of God, the message of of grace because don't tell me that there's something missing from my life. Don't tell me that there's something wrong with me. Um, all right, I won't, but there is. <laughs> so, but it's, the idea is that there's, grace is going to do something about that. So I put down several different definitions that come from different uh, Greek dictionaries. It's an endowment of favor or power or position or even access, without regard to merit or demerit. So it's not based on what you can do, and it's not based on what you haven't done. You, you don't disearn grace. Neither do you deserve grace. And so it's not something that is given. It's all at the opportunity or the initiation of the giver. It's not about you, it's about Him. It's about the one who wants to give to fill some void, something that's missing, something that is broken in your life. And so the idea of this is to give, and it's freely bestowed, because if you have to work for it, it's not grace, it's reward. Nothing wrong with reward. You know, we, we use, and I, I, I use this phrase, and pardon me, I don't want to offend anyone with this, but you know, we 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 hear this song to the little children, you better be good, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why what? Santa Claus, Santa Claus is coming to town. Because if you're not good, Santa won't give you a gift. Now wait a minute. If it's a gift, I don't need to be good. If it's a reward, I'm 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 there, right? So I understand that. So we we teach people that if they're good or if they do this, then they'll get a gift and then get that messed up with the idea of grace. Because if it's a gift, it's not based on your merit. And it's not going to be taken away because of demerit. Because it's a gift from the giver. It's not about your ability, it's about his desire. so grace is all about God's desire. so the way that this word is used throughout the New Testament it becomes one of the most significant words of the New Testament. Some people you know say, well, love is the greatest thing. well yes, but grace in a sense, is the greatest thing of the New Testament. why? Because love is incorporated into grace it's 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 part of it how does god give us his love without merit right so god's love is a grace the works of the spirit are grace that's where they're called charisma charismata charis grace mata actions grace actions so the gifts of the Spirit are charismata, or we get the word charismatic, right? So the idea is that these gifts aren't earned, and they're not taken away. Demonstration of that is the church at Corinth, where Paul says in the first chapter of 1 of, uh, Corinthians, he said, you come behind in no gift but they're filled with all kinds of spiritual problems, right? And immaturity and all kinds of things. But they've got a lot of gifts. Why? Because they're graces. They're not, they're not earning gifts of the Spirit. You don't earn a gift of the Spirit. You don't earn a miracle. It's a gift of God. So this idea of grace is is important in all of this. So grace is this great thing that God wants to do. But there's a problem. And the problem is that thing that grace fills a void. Grace makes up for a weakness. Grace overcomes a difficulty. Grace comes into the position where there is a need And so grace demands something be missing, something be wrong, something be broken, something be sin. And the grace of God comes in. Why would anyone not want this gift? Because to receive grace, you have to acknowledge, I need it. It's just like I said to my class on Sunday, they were talking about prayer. So said, prayer is one of the most humbling things that we can do. Because prayer says, I need God. I'm facing a situation that I can't deal with, and God can. So, here I am, talking to God about this thing that I can't do anything about. So, the idea of grace is in that same category. It's It's because I have a need, I have a void, I have a weakness. Grace removes our merit. I, If I could do it, I don't need God. So if I could save myself, I don't need God. If I can work my way to heaven, I don't need God. If I could. I mean, you know, it's, it's an impossible if, right? That's if and it cannot be. Because you can't. You can't be good enough. But neither can I be bad enough. So I can't be so bad that grace is not offered because however much I need is there. You know, I hear we hear people say, you know, some people need more grace and some need less grace. Actually, God doesn't care how much you need. He's going to pour it out. A man used the illustration. He said, uh, you know, I think the the furthest... Record for broad jumping is something like 27 feet. Maybe, maybe maybe more than that. I don't know. I'm not enough of the Olympic. What? A little over 29. Okay, that's even further. So 29 feet. So that's a, you know, you got to have a good run and you got to, you know, really learn how to do that because I couldn't just go out here and jump 29 feet. But if you're trying to jump the Grand Canyon, Twenty-nine feet is not going to get you anywhere. Well, yeah, just, you, might miss, you might miss a few rocks, but ultimately, you know, you're, you're not going to be there. Because the chasm is so wide, it doesn't matter how much grace you need. You just need it because you can't do it yourself. The best definition i found is the definition that Jesus gave for grace. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. They're kind of toward the top of your page too. And this is Jesus' definition to Paul. And so when Paul was asking God to take away his problem, to take away this situation, to remove the thing, and I'm not going into what that issue was, but as he cried out, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, now verse 9. But he said to me, Jesus, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient. The word sufficient in the Greek language means is an overwhelming surplus. So it's sufficient. See, we think sufficient means just enough. Well, that's sufficient. I preached on this back, I think it was on Memorial Day here at the church. And, you know, so sufficient to us, well, that's sufficient. And so that means it's just enough. It'll get us there. But the Greek word for sufficient means overwhelming surplus. So I needed five dollars and God gave me ten billion. All right, so that's that's an overwhelming surplus, right? I needed help with this and God overwhelmed me with his grace. It's an overwhelming surplus. So no matter how much my need, God's grace is what? An overwhelming surplus. My grace is sufficient. Now, notice what Jesus said. Here's Jesus' definition of grace. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's grace. I know we hear grace, the acronym, God's Riches at Christ's Expense, G-R-A-C-E, right? So God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Yes, that's nice, that's good. It stays in our head. But the reality is grace is God's power made perfect in our weakness. If it's sin, if it's our spiritual death, if it's healing, if it's peace, if it's direction, if it's wisdom, no matter what it is, it's my power made perfect in your weakness. So what does Paul say? Well, I don't have any weaknesses. Bless God, I'm not. I'm a faith man. No. What did Paul say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm going to find every place that God's grace can pour into. Here's a weakness. I need God's grace. Oh, here's one. Here's another one. I found another one. You know, I got up this morning and found several more. So, <laughs> in a grace is God's power made perfect. The word made perfect, the Greek language means it's reached its goal. It reaches what it was given for, to be made perfect. It, 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 it's doing what it was given to do. And God's grace does what it's been given to do in your weakness. So Paul says, here I am. Fill me. Find every weakness. Find every hole. Find every part of me that needs. Fill me. And grace will. So this is Christ. So he says, so I'll boast in my weaknesses so that the power, again, power. Grace is power. So that the power of Christ May rest upon me. Can I just say grace? So that the grace of Christ may rest upon me. You can say the grace of God. God's grace. His power. Made perfect in my weakness. So therefore grace presupposes a lack or a need. I've got to have something for God to pour himself into. We'll talk more about this as we get to chapter 3, but especially in Romans chapter 4. And it goes on and on into this glorious statement about what grace does and how grace works in our life. And so, grace says your efforts, your merit, your strength are not sufficient. If, If Paul could do it, he didn't need Christ's help. If if I'm able, I don't need his help. But I'm not able. Therefore, I do. Now, that doesn't mean that when he gives me his grace, I continue to say, I don't have it. No. Then I recognize that he's given me his strength. So Paul can say, after this, about five years after he wrote this letter, he wrote another letter. I can do all things through the one who constantly... Fills me with his strength or enables me. The Greek word. I made my own word out of it. Indunamizes me. I can do all things through the one who indunamizes me. Who puts his power on the inside of me. And how does he do that? By grace. I couldn't. He gives me his grace. Now I can. And so the same Paul who said I need his grace then said I don't face anything that i can't overcome why because i draw from the grace of god all right so paul is filled with his confidence and so grace fills those voids the pharisees the proud the arrogant the, the, the reason jesus had such a hard time with them is didn't think they needed anything we're good we don't, we don't need someone to die for us. We're good. So a rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, you know, what, what do I need to do? Jesus said same thing as Pastor Jeff said this last week, only it's a different situation. And to this rich young ruler, Jesus said, that's right. Go and do it. He said, I've done all those from my youth. Really? Really? You've kept the entire law from your youth? Well, let me shake your hand. So the man says, I've, these, these I have done since my youth. What do I lack? Go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. And the man walked away. Because God... Asks of us more than what we can do. And if we think you are able, God's got the next challenge that says, but you can't do this. So, he needed him. The thing is, the beautiful part of that, of that story is when the man walked away, Jesus was saddened. It, it hurt the Savior's heart. That you, you don't want my grace. It's the same way today. Put a little testimony in there. My life, my life before July 20th, 1972, I was isolated and conceited. Now, people might not have thought I was conceited, but my conceit was all inward. I don't need you. I don't need you. I was within myself. I wasn't an outwardly offensive, conceited person, but I was inwardly. I didn't need people. I didn't need this, I didn't need that. I'm okay within myself. Yet, this is my testimony, I was filled with rage, anger, depression, considered ways to end my life. So I ended up giving myself to perversion, to alcohol, and to drugs. And then, we're invited to a little revival. And I was attending this little Church of Christ revival in the town of Norwich, Connecticut. And as the preacher was presenting Jesus on the cross, I saw the true sacrifice of Jesus' death. I'd been raised in church. I'd heard that. I'd studied my catechism. I memorized my catechism. But I didn't see that had anything to do with me sat through my grandparents' Quaker church listening to the message preached and one of the evangelists that came to that little church I'm not sure I ever heard him but he came to that church was Cooper Beatty your dad and so I heard the message didn't mean anything to me just bounced off why? why? I don't need anything. Down on the inside, I'm okay. It's all right with me. But finally, I saw this true sacrifice. I saw that my life was not my own. With his blood, he bought me. And that reality finally revealed in me a heart that needed to be broken. And I opened up and I received. And my life was changed by this infusion of the grace of God. Paul says that First Timothy chapter one. It, it, he says, "But the grace and mercy of God were abundant in me, and they were poured out without measure." Paul says, "What could I do but receive?" Augustine, St. Augustine he made this statement when God pours out his grace he pours it into empty hands but if your hands this is what he wanted to say but if your hands are full of you and if we look at our culture today their hands are full of themselves your hands are full of you then there's no room for the grace of God to fill them you got to empty your hands so that the grace can come in because God wants to infuse our lives with his grace alright so that's grace the next thing is peace the Greek word is erene the word peace is is tough for us because we use peace for so many different things you know and we buy the right car well I've got peace with this you know because so, I bought the right kind of car. Um, peace means almost nothing to us because in, in our minds is there any real peace? You know we people march for peace and they legislate for peace they've got a whole institution you know that they want to establish peace in the world and if you want to win a beauty pageant you have to be interested in what world, world peace yes <laughs> you have to you have to have that as your very heart of what you want world peace but the greek word has to do with something which has been bound together again after it had been separated and so peace has to do with something that was broken something that has been um, distanced from itself something that was separated that is now been brought back together and so that's the root of this greek word for peace So the idea of peace means something was broken and now it's been fixed. Peace is what results. Because now that it's back together, now that it's been rejoined, now that it's been reclaimed, now in this recovery there's peace. So we think of peace as the absence of something, but that's really not what the Greek word has that idea. Peace isn't the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of pressure. You still never have that. We live in a broken world, and so it's here, but do you have peace? Now, the Bible, there's two different kinds of peace. There's the peace of God and the peace with God, and we'll cover both of those in the book of Romans. But peace in itself has to do with something that was, then it was separated, and now it's been brought back together. The restoration, recovery, reparation of something. But something has to precede this peace. Before peace comes, there has to be something missing. It's almost like grace. Grace, there has to be a void. Peace, there has to be something broken. There has to be something that then being restored, the result is peace, right? So the result of them being brought back together is this idea of peace. I use this illustration. I can, I can put lemon juice in a glass of milk, separate it. No, it's not even buttermilk. And, but here's the thing, no matter what you do, you can't put it back together. You can put it in a blender, you can try to change it, you can boil all the water out of it and make it a powder and then try to put it back together and it won't because those two things have been permanently separated Well, that's what happens in our hearts. That's what happens in our life. That's what happens with issues in this world. Sometimes it comes from world pressure. Sometimes it comes from circumstances we're going through. Sometimes it comes from somebody that's supposed to be our best friend, does something, and now it's separated. How many know of relationships that are so far apart, it's like milk and lemon juice? Right? It's like, I don't see how God's ever going to put that back together. Oh. But he can. And the result when they come back together is peace. Peace. That's the result of bringing those things together. Now, here's, here's the point. That can occur in our hearts long before it occurs in the world. We can have peace that God is going to restore, that God is going to make it right, that God is going to remove the hurt and the thing that's separating, and that that, that's going to be taken out of the way. And we can have the peace within long before we see it out there. One of the best illustrations of that is Jesus asleep in the boat in the midst of the storm. He was going to the other side. The disciples think they're going to drown. Jesus was asleep. Jesus didn't get up to calm the storm. He got up to calm their fear. In doing that, he had to calm the storm. But Jesus had inward peace. It didn't matter what was going on out there. His heart was not torn. His heart was not broken. His heart was not separated. His confidence was sound in the Lord. I'm going to the other side. And they were going with him. (laughs) Don't you care that we're dying? And I know, I may have never used those words to God, but I've used words something like that to God. Don't you care? God says, I want to give you my peace. So this peace that we receive may have nothing to do with what actually is happening out there. Because God knits that together in my heart. And whatever the hurt and whatever the brokenness and whatever the separation, in my heart, it's all been fixed. And I'm at peace. And I believe it's going to happen out there. So this idea of of peace works hand in hand with something else, and that something else is what? Grace. See, what is it that puts it back together? God's grace. And what is the result? Peace. So in our life... Your brokenness was fixed by the grace of God. That void was filled. Your life was restored, renewed, made whole by the grace of God. The result is peace. Wholeness. God putting these things back together. Of all the things that trouble us, world news, all those kinds of things... The greatest thing that troubles us is sin. And it's the number one thing that brings separation in our life separation from other people, separation from God, separation from peace. But God, in His grace, overwhelms that. And then peace is the result. Now, the order of these words, my next point here is that these always have to happen this way. You can't have the peace and then the grace. Grace comes first. So, this is God's grace working in our life. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to a throne of grace. A throne of what? Grace. 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 God's power made perfect in my witness. All right, so whatever my weakness, I come that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. in our time of what? Need. need. See, there's a need. And you say, well, I, bless God, I don't have any needs. Well, then you have no need for the grace of God. You've got to be something. Because I've got needs every day. So if you don't want to get on the list, I'll take your place too. Because I know I need to draw from the grace of God. I can't do my life without God's grace working in my life. I need His grace. I need His power made perfect in my weakness. And sometimes I don't even know what my weakness is. And Thank God I have a wonderful partner who helps me sometimes know what my weaknesses are. And we have preachers to help us. And we have books to help us. And friends. And friends. Friends to help us. So... We need, we need, sometimes we need people to help us see where our weakness is. And then we can draw from the grace of God. And then the result of that is peace. Because things that were broken, things that were separated, are now brought back together and the result is peace. Or just, just the inner witness and knowing that God has restored it in my heart whether it's been restored out there or not, that's yet to come. There's so much trouble and turmoil in this world, but you know what? I'm not going to be separated from my confidence that God rules. Somehow this is going to work. Somehow this will come about. You know, they they used to have a saying, God will see us through. And you know, I, I believe that. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a God that rules. I was talking to my staff the other day in our mentor class, and we were talking about the gospel. And, and you want to boil down the gospel to just a few words? Our God reigns. Your God reigns. And The gospel of God is your God reigns. And if that's all I've got to shout in the face of the devil, I'll shout it. Amen. <laughs> My God reigns. Amen. And in here, I can have peace. So, Hebrews 4.16, we draw from this grace that we might find the grace to help in our time of need. But then, John 14.27, Jesus said, I, I leave the gift of peace with you my peace. Now this is the Passion Translation and I really like the way that they said it here. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Why? Because it's all, all right in here. That's peace. It's it's all right in here. And I know that it's God is at work. I believe that the things that I've asked for, I'm going to see. God said I could. I ask. I believe. And I'm going to have peace till I see it with my eye. That's the kind of peace that we have. It's a Abundant, overwhelming peace. So grace has to come first. But what's happened with the world? The world doesn't want the grace. Therefore, they'll never find the peace. The world wants a peace that is all about them. They want a peace that is their way. But don't you know that on the other side of the line, there's people that want it their way? So they can't have peace till it's their way and you can't have peace till it's your way how's that ever going to work out it's not what we need is peace from God and we can't have peace from God if we won't first receive of his grace we've got to receive of his grace we've got to let him make up the brokenness fill up the void take over our weaknesses and then I can have the peace that I'm looking for Now I want to close this lesson tonight with this phrase that we find and it's in uh, numerous passages in different contexts. And so Paul uses it in Romans chapter 15 verse 33. The God of peace. Because you see, he's not just the God who gives peace, he's the God of peace. That's part of who he is it's just what he does he's the god of peace restoring those things that have been broken and giving you peace as he draws them together he's the god of peace so this is the kind of peace paul says philippians chapter 4 verse 7 so don't be anxious Or the Greek word actually means stop being anxious. It doesn't mean don't allow it. It means stop being it, right? It's a Greek word. Stop being anxious. Why? Because they were, or he wouldn't say stop it, right? Stop being anxious about anything. About what? Anything. Say it again. Anything. Anything. Well, but (laughs) what... What about, you know, we're watching the news a little bit this evening. I, I know some things I could be anxious about. And if I don't, I'm going to watch the news and find some things. I'm going to Google trouble. And I'm going to find things to worry about. Because, hey, anxiety is the caffeine of the soul, right? Right? Anxiety I need I need the anxiety. I'm an anxiety junkie. Stop being anxious about anything. Poor Paul, just that's like, Paul. can you just say stop being anxious about a few things? I can do a few things. I'm not sure I could do anything. Wow, that's... I mean I can't be anxious just a little bit. But instead, See, you got to read it that way. So I know it just says, "But by prayer and supplication." But instead, see, instead of being anxious, anxious I can do. <laughs> I mean, in here can do anxious. Anxious I can do. I can also do the next part. Prayer. Instead, I can do anxious. But instead, do this. Instead, in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's a lot of power in that verse. Through prayer and supplication. Prayer is communion, conversation with God. Supplication is where I don't know what God can do, but I'm, I'm just asking him. God, I'm pouring out my heart. I need you to do this. Thanksgiving means I'm going to thank God for doing it because he's done it before. So Thanksgiving is always based upon something God has already done. And so I'm going to thank him for doing it. I know God has healed. God's healed me. So when I pray for healing, I know he's already done it. So I'm going to offer Thanksgiving with my prayer, not after my prayer. That's the old way it was. Okay, I'm not going to say what denomination it was that I learned it in. But they used to say, and if you do, God, if you do this, we'll be careful to give you the thanks. No, I'm going to thank him now. But he hasn't done it. That doesn't matter. He did it before. So I'm believing he's going to do it this time. But in everything. Through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request, your, the Greek word is the idea of demands, requirements. Ask. It's it's a Greek word which means ask for things that are yours by right. So you've got to kind of know what's yours by right. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. Now I know we often say, well, that means I don't need to understand. And that really is what it means. It's not just, it goes beyond my ability to understand it. And yeah, that's good. But the word surpasses really means is superior to. And the peace of God which is superior to understanding. How many know that in A lot of trials, a lot of pressures, a lot of situations in life if we just could understand. If I just understood, right? So we want knowledge. We want God to tell us why it happened. Why this? Why that? We want want knowledge. God says, no, this is superior to your understanding. Superior to knowledge. Superior to your being able to understand what God is doing. Trust me. Trust me. And this peace of God is superior to understanding. How many got things that you're at peace with but you just don't understand? Still don't understand? You know what? You may never understand in this life. These things will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And so this is the peace of God. There's Five other verses there uh, you can look up that talks about the God of peace. Go, go to those passages and, and look at them and see how this peace of God works in all of these. What comes before peace? Grace. grace. So in every one of these situations, there's grace first and then there's peace. Because there can't be peace without the grace of God somehow fixing so that you can live in the resulting peace. Amen? Amen. That's our lesson for tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for, uh, producing in us a confident heart, Father, that, that you will do in us and for us those things that we need. Father, we thank you for the grace of God working in our life. We thank you, Father, where we find weakness, you will fill it with your grace, that we may live in the resulting peace that you have brought these things back together. And we thank you for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for giving us opportunities to share your word with others that they might be saved. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.